0: Welcome to the Evolved Caveman, where men learn to be successful and happy with your host, Dr. John Schinnerer, as he shares the most impactful ideas and practices for you to get the most from your relationships, your work, and from your life.
1: Now, here's Hey, everybody. Dr. John. This is Dr.
0: John back with the latest episode of the Evolved Caveman, and today I am really, I'm excited. I'm honored. Um, this this speaks to the emotion geek in me and and part of the reason that i got into psychology was ways to learn to manage my own emotions Um, and so i am thrilled to have on as my guest today hillary jacobs hendel and let me just read the bio really quickly hillary has a master's in social work from fordham she studied psychoanalysis uh with for four years at the institute of contemporary psychotherapy private practice in new york city She's been a mental health consultant for the hit TV show Mad Men, and Hillary has a passion for helping people become their authentic selves. Being real or authentic leads to greater connection, compassion, calm, creativity, courage, and confidence. And one of her main tools, which we're going to talk about today, is the Change Triangle it's a sort of map to finding the true self. It helps people become reacquainted with core feelings like anger, sadness, fear, joy, and excitement. And one of the things that I love about this is that it's my belief that emotions drive everything. Everything we do, don't do, everything we say and don't say, but often we don't have an an awareness of even how our emotions are affecting us. So Hillary Thanks for coming along. I really appreciate it. I'm thrilled to have you here. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. And I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And I'm so glad that you asked me. And I particularly love sharing this information uh, with men and the women who love men and want them to be well. And, yeah. And, and I, I think this is, I'm sorry for interrupting,
0: I think this is one yeah. of the huge areas that men need to work on developing is the emotional awareness emotional literacy emotional management and communication.
1: Yeah. Absolutely and I you know I'm just I'm sort of identifying with your audience out there that's like emotions oh no it's like <clears throat> people run the other way and for good reason because we're sort of sold a bill of goods that uh, emotions are weak. We are not given any tools to understand or to work with them, and they're painful, and they're and they're mysterious. And so, um, you know, I'm hoping everybody hangs in there and listens because if you learn a few basic facts about emotions, it demystifies them. And if you kind of try, we try to undo the myths about emotions, because there is science behind emotions, and everybody, men, women, and every gender in between have the exact same core emotions. And when we when we deal with them, when we lean into them, which takes strength, not weakness, right? It's, it's much easier to avoid things to grab a drink, but when we can understand and lean into them, just all sorts of good things start to happen, and there are ways to manage them so that they don't feel out of control. Yeah,
0: and I'm, I remember when I was in middle school, my my emotions. I was humiliated as a result of an emotional experience, mm-hmm. and at that point in time, if you had given me the option, I would have ripped the emotions out of me and left them in the gutter. And yeah. Mister Spock, and, and I really think that that's the approach or the strategy of a lot of men. We're just going to bury it. We're going to wear a mask, and we're going to pretend we don't feel anything. And yet, emotions, once you learn to manage them, can be such a source of power and strength and courage. That it's not even funny, and I think what we're shooting for in terms of this evolved caveman is really a balance between the intellectual, the analytical, and the emotional.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that because more and more, I, 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 as I talk to people out um, all over the place, what when when it's another thing people get frightened of. It's like I don't want to wear my heart on my sleeves. I don't want to, you know, it's inappropriate for me to display emotions and exactly what you said. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about a balance between a thought process and a, an, an irrational and a thinking things through. It's critical. But the missing piece and why we have an epidemic of anxiety and depression and addiction and so many other symptoms on our hand is that piece where we're cut off from our bodies, which is where emotions live. And when you can bring yourself into balance which is in the jargon, the science jargon, like homeostasis, everything is balanced and our nervous system is calm, then you can actually think best. You can focus best, you can connect and relate best. And um it, it's it really is the missing piece in how to really thrive in life,
0: I yeah. think. I'd like to say that Rene Descartes, the philosopher, really fucked us when several hundred years ago, he said, I think, therefore, I am. Mm -hmm. And it it really made us over-identify with our head and our thoughts. And it disconnected us from our body, disconnected mind from body. And one of the huge things with the men I work with is getting them out of their head and into their body. Mm -hmm. Figure out what is it I'm feeling right here, right now.
1: Yes, exactly. And and how when you when you do that, um, if you don't mind me asking, what's the initial response when you ask people to kind of slow down and notice as I do in my work as an AEDP therapist, which is a trauma informed emotion mm-hmm. therapist, yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I think that I think they're surprised. I think that once they begin to do it, they're actually okay with it. It takes some practice and it takes some repetition and it mm-hmm. takes some reminding. Um, but I think once you begin to tune into the body, it's not nearly as scary as you think emotions are, because I think a lot of men are terrified of their emotions. It's, I like the saying that, you know, the mind is, a, like a terrible neighborhood that you're afraid to go alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think a lot of our emotions, we, you know, I say, you know, something like, I think I'm sad. Well, that's a thought. Yeah. That's not really how you're feeling. I mean, you might be feeling sad, but where do you notice sadness in your body? Mm-hmm. What are the physiological cues that you pick up to know at some level that you 're sad yeah. to experience sadness on a visceral level
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and I think that the the men that I work with are quite open to it actually I, I think they 've been i don 't know hungering for this mm-hmm. have known where to go
1: yes, and it 's quite a relief when you make contact with these deeper areas of the brain and the body and the the visceral sense of self, even though it it may not be joyful, right? Where this is not like a positive psychology. It's about, it's about a deep connection with, this is me. I recognize this as true for me. And there's this click um, that happens. And even though something may be painful, maybe sad or it may bring up fear if it's done in a way where there's um, a safety established and that's, we could talk about how you do that, that, that it feels good, even though it may be hard.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, I do want to just take um, dovetail on something you said about taking it uh, as a practice. I think it's a lifelong practice that the change triangle, which is um, just, for people to make it clear, is something that I didn't invent. I adapted it from the, the the academic literature because I came across this triangle that explained emotions in my training. And the moment I saw it, I, I understood my anxiety. I understood the two depressions that I went through. I understood my defenses and why I avoided my feelings. And I felt organized. And I really thought, why should this be separate from the public? This should be basic information that I hope people will learn starting in ninth grade pretty much i think that teens uh, and young adults really um i mean i know they benefit from understanding it because then you don't feel ashamed of your emotions or ashamed of, of and 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 scared by what's happening inside with these strange kind of physiological experience that, um, that emotions are meant to cause because they have a a purpose which is to help you survive um, yeah.
0: So let's, let's
1: go in. I, my mind
0: explodes when I'm talking to you. Like I could go a hundred different directions at once. <laughs> so let, let's stay on topic and, and let's go. Would you explain the change triangle to us?
1: Yes. It's basically a simple, uh, a simple diagram. I guess I'll, I'll hold it up. Um, can you see that? Yeah. Just hold it still
0: for a minute. Would you? Yeah. 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 There we go. Thank you.
1: And this is uh, if, if anyone wants to go to my website, com. you can kind of get, get. you can see it there. There's a, a, um, a tab that says, what is the change triangle? But the idea, and you can read this kind of short version, but the idea is that we have these if you imagine this triangle being superimposed on my body like here, because, and with these core emotions, which are what Darwin described at the turn of the century, um, that we all have these inborn pre-wired from the moment we're born, they are ready to go and they help us survive. So for example, um, you know, back in the olden days, right? If if, a, if you were hunting and gathering and a tiger, you know, was coming into your, your peripheral vision, before you're even cognitively aware that there's something dangerous, your ears, your eyes, your, your senses, you know, your skin might start to crawl. You'll kind of get a sense that a tiger is coming. It's going to trigger fear and fear is going to trigger the body and you're going to start running for safety. And this happens so quickly, much more quickly than the uh, cerebral cortex, which is a sort of the thinking brain, can work. Yeah, and so, the, so emotions,
0: the emotional brain is just faster than the It's thing. faster. It's more it's, refined. It's gone through thousands of revisions.
1: Yes. Well, it and it's very black and white. It's fear, it's safety. So yeah. you see a tiger, you start running and uh, if you had to see it and evaluate it, you'd be eaten already by the tiger. So um so and the, the so all of the emotions, the core emotions which are at the bottom of the triangle which we can feel physically are Anger, fear, sadness, disgust, joy, excitement, and sexual excitement. And these are there in every person, whether you perceive them or not. It's, it's just, and if, if, for the people listening, if you take one thing from this conversation, it's just know that your emotions just are. They're not good. They're not bad. They don't say anything about you. They just are. And different people feel them differently on a spectrum. So some people are very emotional, men and women, and some people are kind of more flatlined just from their genetic makeup and their disposition. But we all have those emotions because we all need them for And Each one of those seven core emotions has its own program that tells the body what to do to aid in survival. And so that's just... A good thing, and when we let's say in a theoretical utopian world, everybody understood that these that emotions have to be tended to and cared for. Your your initially your parents and then your peers, everybody would receive your emotions, help you calm them when you're young, and then teach you skills to calm your own. And you're can, I, can I jump in there because I think yes. the other piece of that is non judgment.
0: I mean, you mentioned that they're not good or bad, but we have so many judgments about our emotions Yes. layer other emotions on top of that core emotion and it creates problems.
1: Yes, exactly. To the
0: extent you can look at your own emotions without judgment or look at your partner's emotions without judgment, that helps tremendously.
1: It's key. It's absolutely key. And we're also mean to ourselves and then we're mean to others. So it's totally related how you relate to your own emotions and how you relate to the emotions of the people around you. Um. So the thing to know about like when you have a core emotion triggered and it's triggered by the environment, you can't control it. Something happens, somebody bumps into you, someone cuts you off on, in traffic. Uh, your wife you know, tells you that you're not good enough. It's going to trigger an emotion. And there's a, a choice point here where you can either um, have skills and work with the emotion and work it through and feel the feeling and experience it which I, I'll, I can define what that means to actually experience an emotion. And then you drop down, your nervous system calms down and you feel again in your most authentic self, which you recognize by these C words. Um, when we are sort of in our in our homeostasis, static, regulated, balanced nervous system. We feel calm. We feel curious in others in the world. We feel connected to ourselves and others. We feel confident that we can handle life and whatever comes and problem solve. We feel clear in thoughts. We're not ruminating and um, obsessing up there. And um, good things happen. But what most of us do is an emotion gets triggered and we, it gets cut off um, from experiencing it and then we move up the triangle where most of us live in these kind of anxious if you imagine the top of the triangle kind of over around above your shoulders and in your head these kind of anxious defensive states um, and because we're blocking we don't like what we're feeling we move out of our body and into our head and then the mind tries to figure out how to the mind and body, how to squash these things down that we are frightened of. And so anxiety is really a signal, and we can all use it and recognize it, that when we're anxious, it's really a signal that there's underlying core emotions that need validating and tending to. Now, when you have a lot of feelings coming up, these core emotions, and you have a lot of anxiety pushing it down, which is these inhibitory emotions on the top right corner. And the inhibitory emotions are shame and guilt and anxiety. These are emotions that have the ability to squash core emotions in service of really getting along. Again, they're evolutionarily um, uh, evolved uh, that's sort of, that doesn't make sense. They are evolved to, uh, to keep us in the good graces of our, of our tribes of humanity. So that, you know, if we are told, um, for example, you know, if you, an example of, let's say healthy shame is we learn if we pee in public you know, our parents say, you know, we don't do that. That's not what we do in society. We, we pee in the toilet and you might feel a little shame. And so next time you have to pee, you're going to remember that and you're going to say, go to the bathroom. The sad part is this happens with emotions. So that young boys, right, initially they're programmed to feel sad when they're upset Uh, Let's say a toy is taken away and and a little boy cries and a father who doesn't have any emotion education, who thinks he's doing the right thing, perhaps by socializing his child says, oh, we don't cry. Boys don't cry, you know, or worse, you know, you're a pussy or Mm -hmm. get over yourself or who do you think you are or suck it up. And we use muscular constriction to hold down the actual physiological energy that each emotion has. And then we become anxious instead of having that feeling and the combination of anxiety and guilt and shame, depending on how much adversity we suffered inside our bodies, mixed with these upcoming emotions, core emotions that want to be come up and out and be expressed and this downward, like a pressure cooker, then we develop defenses. So we get cut off and we don't feel anything. Or as soon as we start to feel something, we move into our, um, you know, we all have our defenses that we do, whether you uh, play video games all the time or whether you reach for a drink or you reach for a drug or you're just angry, like a defensive anger all the time, or you hate people or you isolate yourself. Um, so there's a myriad of defenses, a lot of which I, I list in the book and on my website because they're sort of interesting. And the, and the very defenses that people have are the symptoms that often they come into my office with. For help with. Um, Where does depression fit in on that triangle? Yeah. So I I have labeled depression a defense because what it does is depression happens when we have too many emotions and uh, or trauma, you know, trauma, why trauma is trauma is because it, an event brings up emotions and there's no one there to help us with them. And so we have to bury them. And over time, if you keep doing that to contain the massive amount of energy and emotions that wants to come up, we just have a massive shutdown. And that's what we feel is depression, where you you go numb, you, you're devoid of vitality, of energy, you can't enjoy anything. And um, I've helped many people that have just you know tried medication and it didn't work and tried all sorts of different types of therapy. And then when you help them get in touch with their emotions they come alive and the depression goes away.
0: Yeah. And let's, let's talk about trauma for a minute, because, you know, I like that definition from Dr. Faith Harper of trauma, that trauma is anything that disconnects you from a feeling of safety. Now that's a really low bar for a definition of trauma. And it's, so it's interesting to me. I kind of love and hate it at the same time. I love it because I think it encourages people to go back in their past and think, okay, with that definition, what might've been traumatic for me? Now, we also respond differently to trauma. So some people can spend six to eight years as a prisoner of war in a POW camp and come out psychologically healthy. Others, maybe they you know, got yelled at by their mom at a young age and found that traumatic. There's no judgment there on what, you know, what we consider traumatic. The part I don't like about that definition of trauma is I think it increases the number of people that consider themselves victims. And that might be a defense as well. But Where does trauma fit into the change triangle?
1: Well, it's really the the change triangle is there to prevent and ease and heal the symptoms of trauma, of which chronic anxiety, social anxiety, depression, alcoholism. Again, all of these, like why does some person become an alcoholic and another person develops um, uh, OCD has to do with the genetics, right? So everything is a combination, but any of these symptoms... I now just think of everyone as having suffered that their symptoms are from trauma, meaning just surviving childhood. And then depending on how many adverse events happened. And these are largely not talked about in our culture. These are invisible things. So, so many people come into me feeling depressed and we talk about their childhood, for example, and um, you know, they had to change schools when they were in second grade, right? That is a trauma if It was very hard and it evoked a lot of fear and a lot of anger. Why did I have to leave my friends? And a lot of sadness because the loss of my friends and the parents really and the teachers at school, nobody really noticed and did anything. And again, so that gets squashed down uh, because there's no safety for the emotion, right? That's how I would sort of, there's no safety for the emotion, too much aloneness in the face of overwhelming feelings, and then boom, we, we move to the left of the triangle and we're in defensive states. And they just kind of get hardened, this kind of defensive way of living, just over time, sort of a negative f- feedback loop. But it's. Yeah,
0: I've, I've often, sorry for interrupting, I've often thought good. of just growing up male as inherently traumatic. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of violence, a lot of bullying, a lot of name calling. Like, mm-hmm. you do what you have to to survive. And If you look back at that with honesty and non-judgment, it's like, wow, yeah, there was a lot of trauma there. There was a lot of little trauma. There was a lot of Mm micro-trauma. And we just, as men, learned to bury it.
1: Right. Because we're
0: socialized as don't feel, be invulnerable, be self-reliant, which means don't ask for help. Mm -hmm. Don't tell anyone how you're feeling when you can't handle it. Just handle it on your own.
1: Exactly.
0: And that fundamentally leads to disconnection and loneliness and anxiety and depression and, I mean, drug and alcohol addiction.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it's totally preventable and totally reversible. And um, it involves, that's why I just fell in love with the concept of uh, the change triangle, because it was the, the most practical tool that I saw to give a quick education about emotions that just, blows people away it's like oh my and I even though I'm I'm a woman I was sort of raised in a very thinky household my dad was a psychiatrist and um, you know you were supposed to understand but there was you know if you start to talk touchy-feely stuff about emotions in the body back in the 70s you know my dad would say that was uh you know California new age bullshit and well, so I mean-
0: because I was raised to be an intellectual, it was all about grades, it was all about teaching, yeah. it was all about book smarts, and I could do that, mm-hmm. but I realized early on, like there's a huge void, like something is missing, and, and then I would have these emotions come up, and I'm like, I couldn't manage them that well, I couldn't understand them that well, And I started digging into them, and so mm-hmm. I've spent 25, 30 years looking into emotion. Um, and by the way, let me just put a plug in for the book. The book is It's Not Always Depression. I've read about a third of it. It's fantastic. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's it's readable by anyone. So check it out. It's, it's a really good book. It, there's an audio book. Uh, you can order it on Amazon, but It's Not Always Depression. Um, very worthwhile book. And I don't say that about many books.
1: Thank you. My goal was really to make it an eat like almost like a beach read, like just something you could go right through. There's no jargon. I tried to avoid any again psycho babble, and it's mostly stories. To well, show. yeah,
0: that's why I like it. I mean, I think that yeah. you know you give an explanation of the change triangle, and then you go into case examples. Case yeah,
1: later. of how you move from disconnected states through anxiety and, and lowering that into emotions. What it actually looks like, because the, the the tricky thing about emotions is you can't think your way through an emotion. You have to experience it, right? And that's the moment of of that, that's that's the moment. It's like jumping off a, a high dive and holding your nose, you know, into the water. That moment when you come out of your head, because there's safety in our head for whatever reason. Um, when you drop down into your body, and so I wanted to. show it through my sessions so to give somebody an experience so so you, so people could vicariously see what it looks like to process a feeling where it feels better at the end and somebody's life has changed where they had social anxiety and now they don't where they were full of contempt and rage and now they don't where they couldn't connect to people and now they can and so that was the and then I have little gentle exercises to give the reader just a taste if they want to, but just the emotion education in and of itself, I think gives you a great advantage. And as a parent, it's crucial. So Hillary, this
0: is all very abstract pie in the sky, 30,000 foot view. Your dad would say this is new age bullshit. (laughs) Give us, give us a real life example, if you would, to help us bring it down to a concrete level.
1: Yeah. um, Well, well, you know, I guess I could talk about one of the stories in the book is, yeah, absolutely. Um, someone who lost their parents. I think you read the story as one of the first uh, um, when they were very young. And again, see, I, I'm not into blaming parents. I, because they don't have any of this information and people don't know how to cope with emotions. In fact, I, I write and I wrote the book that I wish I had read when I was in my 20s mm-hmm. because I think that I... um while all children get screwed up, I think I, I could have done a better job if I had understood specifically about shame. That's mm-hmm. something that nobody talks about, and it's it's uh, it's a potent transformer for the worst. And we really want to avoid creating shame um, more than needs to be just to make sure a kid doesn't be doesn't get humiliated again, like yeah. you know, walking naked or most masturbating most in front of other people.
0: Yeah, hmm? it's one of the most yeah. powerful and prevalent emotions, and also one of the most dangerous.
1: Yes. Yes, and uh, leads to all sorts of uh, aggressive symptoms, bullying, and um, and addictions, and whatnot. So, um, this woman who I called Fran in the book lost her parents and went to live with uh, uh, her aunt and uncle, and and nobody really leaned into her emotional world. Everybody kind of like, okay, we're, you're going to be okay, and that's that's wonderful, right? The the intent is is good. But what happened is because there's such a well of grief when you lose your parents or you lose someone you love when you're young, you stay away from that. And again, like the change triangle, which is universal for all humans, you begin to pull away from anything that will bring up sadness um, or the feeling of loss. So when you're an adult now and you want relationships, well, when you dare to love again, because we're the, because we wire in our experience this formative experience of losing your parents is going to be triggered when um, when you want to love again, and so anytime that Fran would you know think about being in a relationship, it would sort of be an intellectual thing. No, I'm not really into that. I'm fine on my own. And um, then when I saw her, she started to feel lonely and she was kind of weirded out by that because it was a new experience and she came to me and we really had to, I had to help her get in touch so that she could grieve the loss of her parents and in that process, it took a while because anytime anything touched sadness, it would throw her into a, um, a state of high anxiety and panic. And the way you rewire the brain that way is to, as soon as as soon as you feel anxious, you switch gears into and. Calming anxiety, and I teach people to do that on their own through learning how to do this thing called deep belly breathing, which is diaphragmatic breathing, where you learn to ground. And it's funny, all these things like when someone, you know, years ago would tell me to breathe, I would find it very annoying, and I was like, "What's that?" Gonna do? You know, or grounding. I'll feel my feet on the floor. What's that going to do? That's like ridiculous. But then, after doing this for um, over a decade, breathing and grounding are the two. Most important things you can learn, and when you learn the science, for me, I have to understand why I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I, I used to be a dentist. I don't know if you knew this, but yeah. I I never flossed my teeth until I went to dental school because someone explained why it makes sense. So I'm a big believer in explaining things.
0: So well, can I jump in there real quick? Yeah, because-
1: absolutely. You know, one of the
0: things I explain to clients is that autonomic nervous system, the bundle of nerves running down the spine and how it mm-hmm. splits into the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic. Yes, the sympathetic life. is responsible for the stress response, fight fight, yes. flight, freeze. Uh, there we go. And the-
1: Three branches of the vagus nerve, the parasympathetic right?
0: parasympathetic is responsible mm-hmm. for rest, relaxation response, rest and digest. And so often when you get to that anxious state- mm-hmm. Physiologically, it's just automatically activating that sympathetic nervous system, which is like the exactly. gas before the car. For a car, that's the accelerator, the gas pedal.
1: Exactly.
0: sympathetic is the brake. But we need practice hitting the brakes and calming down. So what we're what exactly. talking about here is to helping people when they're hitting the gas unknowingly. Okay, let's shift to the brakes right now. Calm down with breathing and grounding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you take away that automatic reaction that you've
1: been locked into for years. Right. You reprogram it. So you that's create. You're yeah. About so it. by creating. So, right. So it's like, this is the vagus nerve, which runs all the way from the base. Brain. Brain. <laughs> because it's so much easier to understand, um, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. I have my, my brain and my authentic self here, which if we talk about, I'll explain that. Very but nice um, that. Uh, thank you. You know, it's, it's, these concepts are are hard so the visuals help um but yes so when exactly so when somebody goes into anxious states then you s- switch into creating safety because in anxiety something is unsafe usually the emotions that they're feeling or they're into the future future tripping themselves or they're in the past re-traumatizing themselves come into the present moment and focus on grounding and breathing to calm the body, and that's what I did with this woman, uh, Fran, in the book. And then,
0: over and over, over time.
1: Yes, it's called pendulating in the trauma in in uh, the, the field of um, of trauma psychotherapy. Which you may know. So you, you you go back and forth. When someone gets anxious, then you stop the work you're doing and you make them feel comfortable again. And you know that's why the collaboration is so important. But we can do these things on our own. Um, you know, you can work the change triangle on your own until you get stuck, if you do. And then if you get stuck, you, need, you probably need that other person there to create safety so that you can be courageous because two is always better than one. Not always, but most of the time to, to go to uncharted territory. And all of this emotion work has to be done in a milieu of safety. And that's why judgment is so problematic because, you know, just for those people listening, think how you feel when someone judges you. Do you feel safe or do you feel threatened? And so when we judge ourselves, we are actually creating anxiety and activating that gas, right? To... Move us into the top of the triangle. So we have to be very kind and loving to ourselves, almost like uh, if we didn't have good parents, we have to become the good parent that we always needed. And that can be challenging too. And
0: if I can jump in there, that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons I like that loving kindness meditation because you get those, the mantras of, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I mm-hmm. live life with ease and well being. <clears throat> and you can add in things like, may I feel worthy. Mm -hmm. or may I be calm whatever it is you need
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: I love the repetition of those mantras
1: yes I totally agree Um, and with that said a lot of people do get stuck because there are parts when you were not treated well as a child when when we have uh, abuse which could be verbal abuse being yelled at or name called right all of that is not okay or being ignored being ignored, abuse, and neglect, um, then with, when you're treated unkindly, it's jarring to treat yourself kindly. And sometimes you have to work with that childhood part because we all have parts, aspects of ourselves. And you have to, again, help that part adapt to being treated kindly because people don't recognize themselves in some way. It's an identity crisis. If all of a sudden you start to be nice to yourself, it's like, who am I? And that's, feels weird. that's challenging, yes. But again, everything, if you practice and you do it in little bits so that it's manageable and so that you will do it because it's not overwhelming you, then like everything, like going to the gym and building muscles, right? You don't all of a sudden lift 200 pounds. You work up to it. And that's exactly when we build emotional strength, which is how I see this. We're really building emotional strength and, a bo- and emotional resilience and the change triangle is my go-to
0: tool. And I, I think one of the huge goals for this lifetime is emotional resiliency. How yeah. quickly can you bounce back from adversity, challenge, difficulty? Because mm-hmm. one of the guarantees in this life is it's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. And so you know, the faster you can bounce back from that pain and difficulty, the better off you are.
1: Right, and the better off your relationships are, because when we are triggered, right into that, um, into the so if we you know if we call this red one the uh, fight or flight, we behave badly. It, it pulls us to be defensive. It pulls us to. um don't know. It, Yeah. Yes. Exactly. We we just don't think correctly and and all again the past starts coming up and we start to project onto other people how we felt with our parents and you really want to take that time to calm down sleep that's why the you know the proverbial sleeping on something before you act mm-hmm. is so crucial because we want to wait for that shift back into a a calmer state so we can think clearly
0: well it's interesting you know i'm so i just got engaged recently and
1: congratulations uh, thank you
0: so i was divorced so i had a prior marriage and (laughs) you know yeah there i mean there but there are occasions when my fiance and i will get into a disagreement and one of us will generally have the awareness to say something like is this about me or is this about another a prior relationship Mm -hmm. and sometimes it is about the other person, but a lot of times it's not, it's, it's bringing up something from the past and it's coming into the present. And so to have the awareness in the moment to go, Oh shit. Like, yeah, you're right. This, this isn't really about you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's huge,
1: huge, So wonderful, right? That's we all need to learn to do that. And not only that, and even if it is in the current and we get triggered to anger, so crucial to know you know, this idea of experiencing when I talk about experiencing your core feelings, what that really means is first, what it doesn't mean is you haven't done anything, there's no action, there's no acting out, no acting in, you just know, okay. Something just happened. My my fiance said this thing to me. It pissed me off. I know I'm angry. How do I know I'm angry? Because I feel this energy coming up and I feel the impulse of the core emotion because all core emotions have impulses and this impulse makes me want to say, you know, you know, shut up or such bitch or whatever, but so I can notice my impulse, validate my impulse so important, right? I'm pissed. That's okay. That's not a problem. But then the last step is, let me think through, if my goal is to stay connected to this person I love, what's the best way to handle my anger? And imagine if everybody could do that, there wouldn't be war Mm -hmm. in
0: the world. Yeah. And I, I think one of the big keys there is having the awareness in the moment. I just got triggered I'm angry right now. What's going on? So, I mean, to to allow the anger to be, but not act on it, is massive.
1: Massive, and it takes work, and it takes it's a lifelong practice. And I'm not perfect. You're not perfect.
0: And I was just gonna gonna say, I fail at times. Yeah, but I've gotten so much better over the years. And. You know, and, and so part of it, you know, and I talk to people just about anger in terms of looking at it on three axes, duration, intensity, frequency. So how 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 long does it last when you get angry? How intense, which is how we normally think of anger, and then how frequently are you getting angry? Is it once a day, once a week, once a month? But improvement on any of those is still improvement.
1: Yes. Absolutely, and um, yeah, anger is very tricky for for men and women, and um, and every gender in between. And it's a really good one to to work on because so many destructive things, obviously it's, it's, it's a destructive force. It's meant to be a protective force, right? So mm-hmm. evolutionarily it's adaptive to protect ourselves. And, but if you think of a, a, anger as a catalyst for change, which I, that's the way I like to, to look at it, is that something just happened and I don't like it and something's got to change. And, uh, and then how can you, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Right. How can we talk something through to say, yeah, I, I don't like that. I would prefer you didn't do that or I prefer we do it this way. But most everything, you know, when I work with couples, there aren't a lot of problems that can't be solved if two people want to solve them through compromise or taking turns or something like that. So um, there's a lot that can be done with anger and you don't get any education in it. And it's, it's a huge problem. Yeah.
0: And so let me change directions a little bit because I have a question that I'm just curious about as an emotion geek. So for me, there's a distinction between emotions and moods. Mm -hmm. So emotions are short in duration. They generally have a cause. You know, bear comes out of the woods. You feel fear, you run away. Um, Moods, on the other hand, are longer lasting. I think of them as emotions stretched thin over time. But moods don't generally have a cause. Um, They can. So like if you have a death in the family, that's going to flatline your mood. But generally, our moods just kind of ebb and flow and i I think there's some freedom in the thought okay i'm in a i'm in a down mood it's relatively minor there's no cause for it instead of beating your head against the wall why why am i feeling sad right now um where do what do you think about emotions versus moods
1: i i'm with you in in the way you're thinking of it um uh, you know, if someone, if I know someone well and they come in and they're in a bad mood and I'll, you know, I'll maybe say, did anything happen? Nothing I could think of, right? It could be hormones. It could be sugar levels. It could be sleep. tired. Yes. So we don't want to pathologize. Well, we don't want to pathologize really anything, but in terms of like, you know, sometimes I'm not going to analyze something or or we'll figure that out together. But often, you know, depression is a mood. Low self-esteem is a mood, right? Or or state as Herability. I might call it. Yes. Anxiety could be. Uh, yeah. And then it's probably the accumulation of a lot of stuff that has um, happened in the past. If it's been around for a long time, if it's yeah. transient, right? Let's see how you feel tomorrow. Right. Um, and,
0: and, but I like the freedom of like, let's say we're coworkers and I come in and I'm in a grouchy mood. And if I have the awareness, I can say, Hey, Hillary, like I'm in a bad mood today. It's got nothing to do with you. Like, I just want you to be aware. Yeah. I, I love that because it gives you the freedom as someone who cares about me to either you can give me space or you can kind of try and you know, help me get out of it. And maybe you have success with that. Maybe you don't. But the crux of it is, the heart of it is, you don't have to take it personally. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we take other people's emotions and moods personally. What did I do? What did I do to make Hillary upset? Did, maybe she knows I left early yesterday. You know, and and we, we, we take it personally. We personalize it.
1: Absolutely. And I, I like what you said about, I am a big believer that we, we forget that we can use words all the time. I'm like, like when, when kids are little, use your words. As adults, there's so much that can be expressed. So I like how you, I, I totally agree. I'm going to, to give someone sort of a, a warning. I'm in a terrible mood not to take it personally. And then I could, then the other person might even say, do you need space or is there anything I can do? So we can even sort of complete that circle so that You don't have to guess because we can't read each other's minds.
0: Okay. And so going back to the core emotions, what are some other uncomfortable core emotions that we might have a difficult time feeling that we might hide from?
1: How about joy and excitement? You would not believe the people that struggle and pride in the self, which is not, Mm -hmm. On the change triangle per se, it's underneath the core emotions Uh, in in ADP, this type of therapy that I do, this specialized type of uh, work. We put pride and gratitude, these are sort of healing emotions that come up after you manage your own feelings. But pride in the self and joy and excitement, particularly, well... I was going to say, particularly for men, right. I mean, there, they're, I think excitement, I'm thinking of sports games and high five and, you know. There's that.
0: context in which we can yes. play it. In most contexts, we can't.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, people are struggle immensely with emotions that actually help them expand. You can almost think of emotions as in two categories, those that make you expand, and we're uncomfortable with that. For so many reasons, and it's a visceral expansion. You probably, you know, people listening wouldn't notice that. But if if anybody out there was in the room with me and sharing something, let's say your boss gave you a compliment. Um, the first thing, and I see a smile on your face. The first thing that I'm going to do is ask, you know, can we really slow down? I see this smile on your face. What was it like when your boss gave you this compliment? What does it feel like physically? And uh, just the other day I was with someone doing this and um, he said, you know, I feel this, this energy coming up. I I feel like lighter. I feel kind of like I want to dance. And then all of a sudden, right, Mm. predict, he's like, and that I just popped out of my head and I'm, I guess I'm thinking, is this okay? So that's a little bit of old shame, I think, that comes up. Is it okay to be exuberant with you? Because when we're young and we're exuberant, so many of us here, you know, you know, what are you so happy about? Or some kind of, um, uh, shh, you know, because they're being socialized. But these moments of exuberance when we're young we learn to curtail so that we don't feel that horrible feeling of being in an expansive state when somebody
0: cuts you off from that. And I think, you know, there's other people's jealousy can sometimes get in the way of that. I think sometimes we're parented in such a way that we're taught not to be arrogant, quote unquote. I hear that over and over and over. So I think we're afraid to be proud of our own accomplishments and pride's a funny one because it cuts both ways it's you know one of the seven deadly sins so we're not supposed to be proud Mm -hmm. it's also a positive emotion and i I think it's healthy to be proud of who we are and what we've done um the other description of those positive emotions that i love is expansiveness in the chest Mm -hmm. you know I, i think of you know if you think of uh of someone who's won a race you know it's it's pride right the chin is up shoulders are back, arms are up. There's an expansiveness in that chest, right? Yes. You know, one of the things I'll teach people is just be aware of your shoulders because every negative emotion, fear, anger, sadness, the shoulders roll forward slightly. Mm -hmm. If you think of a boxer who's protecting themselves, the the shoulders are rolled forward very much. And it's it's a self-protective posture. Whereas if you're proud, your shoulders are rolled back. Ah, your shoulders are rolled back. And so if you think of just pulling your shoulders back slightly, I think there's a, a physiological effect there as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can move your body to affect your emotions. You can move mm-hmm. your, particularly your facial muscles mm-hmm. uh, and affect emotions. Eye contact affects emotions. So much of what's going on between people is nonverbal communication.
0: And one of the, one of the questions I'll ask men is, so how good are you at receiving a compliment? Mm-hmm. Because we suck at receiving compliments yes we get embarrassed we'll you know discard them we don't let them inside we get embarrassed i mean there's a bunch of reasons that we have for not taking compliments in not believing them oh they're blowing smoke up my ass they don't really mean that um and so just I, i love rick hansen's exercise of taking in the good where you consciously decide to allow a compliment in believe the other person knows you well enough and that they're being honest and sincere You take it into your heart, breathe on it for a few seconds, and imagine that compliment seeping out of your heart into every cell of your body. Mm -hmm. Because we're really bad at seeing our own positive qualities. And and that that inner critic is so loud that we don't stop to take in these compliments. We don't believe them. Mm
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm totally with you. One of my favorite things to do is to, again, to teach people how to be able to embody good good things about themselves. And I think those those the defense, the shrugging off compliments, the not believing it. To me, I hear those all as uh, as defenses mm-hmm. against experiencing what is natural in us that when we feel good about ourselves, we feel energized, this outward energy, like you said, and an exuberance and it's socialized away by these ideas that pride is a seven deadly sin. I mean, what is arrogance? I don't really even understand that to feel good about yourself. People who genuinely feel full and good about themselves have more kindness to give to other people. They're less jealous. They're full. Um, so it's really a false pride that is an arrogance that's underneath where there's some insecurity, some shame, uh, that's buried there and that you're compensating for.
0: Well, and it's funny because arrogance to me is always a label that's put on others from the outside. So Mm -hmm. people will say you're arrogant, you're being arrogant. It's not, I don't think it's anything that's applied to ourselves. Generally. I, I don't think most people say, oh, I'm arrogant unless you're told that a lot. But to me, arrogance, I think false pride is a good definition. I think that arrogant people think that they're great and might be a defense. It might be based on little, but they think they're above other people. Mm -hmm. Whereas those of us that are self-confident, and that's what I'm shooting for with my clients. I want them to be self-confident. They believe they're great. They've got a lot of ability and everyone else around them can have the same confidence and ability and greatness. Yeah. They don't put themselves above others. Right. Right. Everyone's that's on an equal cool playing field.
1: Right. Because we're all humans and we're all suffering and we're all flawed. And that's kind of nice when you kind of can really get into that idea. Free, yeah. And It doesn't mean you like everybody. That's totally fine. Yeah. Every, you're still in, in, you know, the difference. It's interesting, the difference between judgment and preference. hmm uh, and I think of judgment as a defense as well on the change triangle, because when anybody judges anything, you know, the, the question that I have is if you weren't judging, what would you be feeling? What just, and what just happened? What feeling did that evoke that then you went up into a judgment?
0: Yeah. So let me ask you another question. Um, to what extent do you agree with the idea that and I, you know, I use the phrase negative emotions, although that's a little bit of a misnomer because all emotions are there for a purpose, but, yeah. and that's, so that's a judgment, uh-huh. but I mean, to what extent would you agree that some of the emotions, anger, fear, sadness, shame, guilt are loud and they scream at us, whereas many of the positive emotions are quiet and they whisper to us and they don't last as long. They're, they're kind of fleeting and fragile.
1: Like, can you give me an example of, of, what yeah.
0: you're saying? uh, for example, awe. So when we feel awe looking at like half dome and Yosemite, many people it, it's quiet. Yes. It doesn't yell at you. Right. It's subtle. Yes. Whereas if I'm angry, I know I'm angry. My anger screams at me and demands attention. Yes. Whereas if I'm happy and content, if I'm relaxed, I mean, a lot of people that are relaxed think they're tired. So th- it. These positive emotions are often subtle they're easy to miss unless we're trained to spot them and to me, you know frequent appreciation of an awareness of positive emotions or cultivating the the um, the situations where we experience more positive emotions is an essential foundational pillar of happiness
1: i agree i I totally agree that we all could use the benefit of tuning into those emotions, you know, knowing what they're for, learning about them and learning to perceive them in ourselves and making good use of them. And yes, the um, all, there's many other emotions that aren't on the, the change triangle. The, the ones that I chose to, because I wanted to simplify this for the public. So something like awe, something like surprise, they're fleeting, right? And so they don't cause a lot of problems. They don't really get buried, I wanted to deal with the emotions that, that caused symptoms. Um, yeah, no, I,
0: I agree. And I'm just I'm just kind of getting into finer detail, I guess. Yes. Because I, I think it's important for us to... Uh, for instance, there was a study that showed that you ask men how many emotions they can name, and it's about eight on average. Mm-hmm. Women, it's about 17. But there's mm-hmm. hundreds of emotions, and mm-hmm. that's the whole part of emotional literacy. So if we are very... Because of the negativity bias, we over-focus on the negative... So we can name more positive emotions or more negative emotions than positive ones, but if we aren't even aware when we're experiencing some of the positive emotions, that really creates a problem for us. If we're if one of the goals is happiness,
1: yeah, absolutely. And so, and that's that's where a little bit of training about going into the body to notice the physical sensations. It's it's the body that's going to it's the, it's the physical sensations that we ultimately put a word on. And then that becomes an emotion. Um, it's really affect is in the body, but I, we call it emotion because I didn't want to jargony. Um, and so anyone's language that feels right. I don't say, you know, if someone says they, they, they feel, um, irritated or annoyed, I don't correct them and say, no, you're angry because it's their word. It's what feels right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there really aren't hundreds of, of, of affects per se. They're really just uh, some basic ones that I went over. And then we can put different types of language on feelings based mm-hmm. on what feels right for us. When
0: like, to give you an example, I mean, like even within anger, there's, you know, rage, there's irritation, there's disgust, there's annoyance, there's irritability, there's contempt. So to me, a lot of these are different levels of intensity.
1: Right. I, they're on a spectrum of intensity. Yeah, that's how I think.
0: Let's just brainstorm and kind of wrapping up. Like, what are some of the physiological cues that people could identify to note that they're in a positive emotional state?
1: Well, I would say, I mean, if they, what I, so for, again, people listening, if they want to do it right now, if you conjure up the happiest moment in your life and slow way down, and scan your body from head to toe at a snail's pace what do you begin to notice and the body takes much longer than our thoughts to appear you really have to hover but for me when i feel when i feel happy i feel warm in my chest i feel some lightness and some energy i can have sort of an image of like the sun radiating cuz when we're in the realm of right brain, of emotions, images, metaphors, sensations, these are all part of, of our right brain experience versus the logic and language of the, of the left brain. And what we're really trying to do is put language from our left brain onto these experiences that have no words unless we struggle to put words on them. And that's, we're sort of bringing those two things together. And that's what's calming. When we can name what emotions we are experiencing, the whole nervous system calms down. And that's why these words are so important to be able to, to label it. So for me, that's what, what brings up um, joy when I feel proud of myself and, and I'm going to share this because it's sort of interesting. Um, when I started to have success with the writing, like when um, the New York times article, which I recommend people read, it's, it's so universal and it, it went viral. It's called, it's not always depression. Sometimes it's shame. And uh, it was about, it's about someone who came in depressed and couldn't get treated. And then we worked in this way that I'm talking about and they got well. And, but when that, when, <laughs> when, when, One, I never thought I'd be published in the New York Times. So when that happened, and then when during the day it reached the number one emailed article, all of a sudden I started to feel sick. I was so dysregulated. And I was like, what's going on here? This is such a good thing. And then I realized I was so excited and so happy that the energy and the exuberance really was getting stuck in the confines of my body. And what I needed to do, and I pulled like, what would I do if I was in therapy with myself or with one of my colleagues, is I let that energy come up in a fantasy and imagined what it wanted to do. Um, And, you know, it it wanted to, to jump around and it wanted to dance. And I had all sorts of grandiose fantasies of seeing myself on a stage and everybody applauding. And it helped my... Help doing that, really imagining it like it was a vivid, like it was a movie happening, transformed what was happening for me and was able to calm my nervous system. And I didn't feel ill anymore. And that's one of the ways that I help people with pride, right? Pride in the self, joy, excitement, that One of the reasons it can make us feel anxious is because there's so much energy associated with it. And we have to learn these tricks and techniques, which I write about in the book and and, um, on my website, of using fantasy because we're basically trying to discharge energy that comes up. So all of these good feelings and anger have a lot of uh, biological energy. And again, not energy so much in the woo-woo sense that my father would have uh, scoffed at. But real biological energy, the way we, you know, energy runs our heart, keeps our heart beating, it keeps us breathing, it runs everything, and emotions have a lot of energy because they make us move. Um, in fact, that's the whole purpose of an emotion, is to make us move in some direction that helps us. So yeah, it's that was a very long answer to your emote. question. I
0: yeah. mean, emote means to move.
1: Yeah, Imove, I think, is the uh, the French and Latin
0: derivation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so when you were talking about sort of that happy memory, my mind went to, um, I was coaching my son's soccer team. He was mm-hmm. eight, and it was the first time these kids had played under the lights at night. We ended up winning the game, one nothing, hard-fought game. And uh, my son ran off the field, mm-hmm. jumped into my arms, and said, Dad, we did it. <sighs> and it just, you know, you were talking about warmth and light and the shoulders pulled back, and expansiveness yeah. in the chest, yeah. and energy. Yes. And, and you're right, it's energizing, which is interesting because it is the same as anger. I mean, there's energy, well, mm-hmm. sadness and depression is not, that's the opposite. There's an anti-energy there, or a weakness, or a you know tiredness. But many of these emotions have a lot of energy to them. And you're right, I think emotion is often the language of metaphor um, and visualization. And you know, one of the visualizations that I do is... You know, breathe in white light through your nose. whatever you need is infused in that white light hope, mm-hmm. energy, peace, love, calm, and then breathe out black smoke, and whatever mm-hmm. you want to get rid of is in that black smoke, anger, nice. stress, fear, depression, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, visualization mm-hmm. is key. I hadn't thought about using visualization with the positive emotions, so that's a really good tip.
1: Hmm. yeah and it's you're really taking your cue literally from the physical sensation it's all about getting into the body and uh and that is a is a it is a practice and that first time uh it, you know really takes a leap of faith that you're one it is going to be okay. I have a couple of um, on the on the on my the Change Triangle YouTube channel. I have a couple of meditations. I, w- I don't even know if I'd call them meditations. I, I really call them gentle experiments uh, yeah. to help somebody get into the body in a way that's safe. Uh, um, dropping into the body is one of them, and grounding and breathing does that. And um, being your own good parent. These are ways that you're working with these kind of internal sensations and neural networks parts of ourselves. And it's, it's good practice for, for those people that want to um, experiment again. And, you know, it's nice. You can always stop if it doesn't feel right. And yeah, you know, you talk
0: about kind of reparenting that inner child. And I used to think that was kind of woo woo new age. Uh-huh,
1: me too. <laughs> now, I
0: mean, especially with like internal family systems. It's like, you know, I think we all have that kind of young child in us, the, the teenager and then that functional adult. And it was interesting. I, I had a dream recently so in real life, when I was a kid, we went to Arizona, went with another family, went in a, a hike in a very steep Canyon. And I was like six years old and I thought I'd play hide and seek and ended what? up losing the whole group. Oh. And then I was like, Oh, like, I don't know where I am. I'm lost. And I couldn't see up and over the Canyon. And I didn't know how to get back to the place where we were staying. And I was panicked. Gary. So I was running around the Canyon. I couldn't find a way to get out. I finally scrambled up the side, you know, through kind of cactuses. And when I got up, I saw the house we were staying and I just kind of went to the house. Didn't tell anyone what happened because it was kind of 50, 50 that, you know, my mom would get mad at me. My mom might be nurturing. Wasn't worth the risk. I'll just deal with it myself. Mm -hmm. And so I just buried it. So then I had this dream recently where same situation, I'm six years old. I scramble up the side of the cliff, but my adult self is there to meet me. Yeah. And I just gathered my younger self in my arms and calmed him down and said, hey, buddy, like, it's okay. You're safe. You're going to be fine. I'm here. I got you. Breathe. That is awesome. And it was like, it was just this release. Yeah. You feel it. Yeah. It was visceral.
1: Yeah, it's transformational. Those, uh-huh. it, w- what we can do with those type of uh, imaginal
0: portrayals. Yeah. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. I've greatly enjoyed this conversation. Um, what would you like to add? Where can people get a hold of you if they would like more information?
1: Yeah, what I would what I'd like to add is just that everybody deserves and benefits from a basic education in emotions, you don't have to work with them. Just understand them because it'll help you understand uh, your boss and your colleagues and your partners and your friends and yourself. And at least you will understand that there's nothing wrong with you Mm -hmm. when you feel things that are strange or you have reactions and impulses. And uh, if anybody wants to learn more, I have all these free resources uh, on my website. This is um, sort of a hobby, this emotion education for me. My, my bread and butter is, is my psychotherapy practice. Um, and so what I've tried to do is create uh, just a place for resources. So I have a blog that if anybody wants, they can sign up for. And every month I send a new article that they're all about emotions, relationships, trauma, and... Um, everything kind of related to emotional health. And uh, there's videos there, there's other podcasts and lots of resources. And then for the whole enchilada, if you're interested in stories, I would read or especially listen to the audiobook of It's Not Always Depression When You're in the Car. And um, you'll learn a lot about yourself and the human race. It's really, if you're human, you need to know about emotions.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Hilary. I really appreciate your time. Uh, again, the book is... It's not always depression, and you can get that at Amazon like everything else in the world. Yeah, I mean, you um, can get it
1: there. and the library. And the library, so the library and there's it. an
0: audiobook. Exactly. Um, so thank you again, and that's it for this episode of The Evolved Caveman.
1: Bye bye. Thanks, ben. Take care. Thank
0: you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting GuideToSelf.com.